An idiom is defined as a group of words established by usage as having a meaning that's not deducible from those of the individual words. Clear as mud, right? That's what I thought when I looked it up. Examples will help, right? Um, A taste of your own medicine, up in the air, a short fuse, butterflies in your stomach, cat got your tongue, crying wolf, fish out of water, foot in your mouth, did I already say that one? And uh, just, just to name a few. The idiom that came to my mind this week, and the reason I needed to look that up, because I knew it was an idiom, but I needed to know the definition, um, is turn on a dime. When something turns or stops on a dime, it changes. And it happens suddenly in a short amount of time and in a a small space. And it's in complete contrast to what was happening before. And this idiom came to mind because this is exactly what happens as we move from last week's passage to this week's passage. Because if you'll remember at the end of last week, the, the passage last week, Verse 38 says, blessed is the king who comes, or not at the end, but in the, in the midst of our passage, it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, right? We're in the midst of worship. Christ is on, on the donkey traveling down the road and, and people are, are praising the coming of the king. But yet when we come to this week's passage and we come to verse 41, all of a sudden, Jesus begins to weep. And it's enough to, really, if you're you're reading through, it's enough to give you whiplash because things do change so suddenly. The circumstances remain the same. He's still entering Jerusalem, right? The scene, though, turns on a dime and we move from triumph to tragedy, The outline of these 16 verses from 1941 to 28 that Hans read earlier looks like this. We're going to look at the anguish of Jesus uh, that he feels, the anguish that he feels. We're going to look at the anger that Jesus expresses, and then we're going to look at the answers that Jesus gives. The anguish that he feels, the anger that he expresses, and the answers that he gives. And with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, by your Spirit, as I pray each and every week, I pray that you would grant power to the preaching of your Word. Would you grant all of us the spiritual ears and eyes to hear and see the truth of your Word. May we see and hear the the truth of the Gospel and of the Lord Jesus. In in these moments, would you awaken our attention and convict us and challenge us, and then as always, refresh us and encourage us and comfort us. I am not fit for this task to which you've called me, and so I am in need, in great need of your grace and the filling of your spirit. My desire is to do something good for you and your church. 
May you be glorified and your church edified in these moments. And it's for Christ's sake and for the sake of his church that I pray these things. Amen. Well, verse 41, Luke says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he began to weep. We've got to get this picture and remember what, what, we, were, uh, what we learned last week. The crowd is, is loud and boisterous. They're shouting. They're laying their cloaks on the path. Matthew adds that they're waving palm branches and placing those palm branches down on the path as he walks by. And in the midst of the accolades, in the midst of the honor, in the midst of the praise, and in the midst of the worship, Jesus comes around a corner or maybe tops a slight hill and he sees Jerusalem and he immediately begins to weep. For us, when we think of weeping, we think of a a silent cry or a soft cry and maybe a small tear coming down one cheek. But the word here actually describes a wailing. It describes a an anguish that's, that's coming forth from deep within the soul. It's loud. It's demonstrative. It would have been absolutely impossible to conceal. But while the timing might catch us off guard, this passion shouldn't surprise us. Because if you'll remember back in chapter 13, we saw both God's heart for His people as well in general... And we saw Christ's lament over the rejection of him in, in particular. I want to take you back there. He's, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you or gathered your children together as hen, a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. This emotion that had come from deep within had had really been percolating under the surface. It had been inching its way to the top as the journey has progressed until he saw the city. And picture a, a geyser erupting. The emotions he couldn't hold back any longer. But notice he's not simply sad due to the rejection, their rejection of him. He was sad also due to the judgment that they were going to experience due to that rejection. It's twofold. Look at verse 42. He says, would that you, even you, we've got to to hear the emotion as he's wailing. Would that you, even you, had known on this day that things, uh, day the things that make for peace. But now... They're hidden from your eyes. Right? The Old Testament prophets had, been, had, had announced His coming. John the Baptist had prepared the way of His coming. He himself had been preaching the good news of the kingdom all along the way. And he had been performing miracles, signs and wonders, affirming, confirming, his message and that it was true, and yet Jerusalem refuses to believe. Despite all the evidence, all the evidence that they had seen, all that they had heard, 
Many would not, many could not. They couldn't, couldn't see what was before their very eyes. And then he continues in verse 43, he says, For the days, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they'll not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, Jerusalem that should have been receiving her king and finally experiencing the peace that they had been waiting on for years, for hundreds of years, that peace that they had been anticipating, Jerusalem would instead choose to despise him. Jerusalem would reject him. And not only, as a result, not only fail to experience the peace that they had been anticipating, but they would in fact experience, they would also experience judgment that would take the form of complete devastation and destruction. Their king had come bringing peace that they longed for, but in the words of John, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They were offered peace, and they refused to accept it. So the city that had been this, the epicenter of the nation, right? everything revolved around it, the place where the temple was, and, and the temple being th- that place where God had dwelt in the midst of His people, the glorious city of Zion would be destroyed, and never again be that special place within the purposes of God. And this judgment, of course, took place in 70 A.D. when Rome, led by Titus, ravaged the city, burned it to the ground. And to help us understand this this passion, this anguish within the Lord Jesus. Listen to these words from Josephus. He says, while the holy house, this is just a small excerpt of of the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, while the holy house was on fire, everything was plundered that came to hand. And 10,000 of those that were caught were slain. Nor was there a commiseration and profage or any reverence of gravity, but children and old men and profane persons and priests were all slain in the same manner, so that this war went around all sorts of men and brought them to destruction. One would have thought that the hill itself on which the temple stood was seething hot, as full of fire on every part of it, that the blood was larger in quantity than the fire, and those that were slain more in number than those that slew them. For the ground did nowhere appear visible for the dead bodies that lay on it. But the soldiers went over heaps of these bodies as they ran upon such as fled from them. Brothers and sisters, God does not take pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. This is the source of Christ's anguish. 
that had come deep from deep within him. There are two things that I think we need to consider at this point. First is that this is actually simply a foretaste of the judgment that's to come. We heard two weeks ago, King Jesus will come and, and those who do not want Him to reign over them will be brought before Him and slaughtered there. Judgment, we've said several times, is going to be distinctive and definitive and divisive. We can add another D word to that. It is going to be devastating. And we must ask ourselves, do we feel the same anguish over the coming judgment? Do we feel the same anguish over the lost and the devastation that awaits them? If not, why not? And if so, what will be our response? Should we not take every opportunity to warn the lost of their upcoming demise? Second thing we need to consider is as we consider the end times and these last days, um, there is no reason for us to put any emphasis upon the earthly city of Jerusalem. After its destruction in 70 AD, earthly Jerusalem became insignificant and irrelevant as far as the future earthly establishment of the kingdom of God is concerned. Today, our concern and our emphasis should be upon the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. In Paul's words, our eyes should remain fixed on the Jerusalem that is above, not below. Listen to these words from the writer of Hebrews. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. John of course, writes in Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In, verse, in verses 45 to 46, we see the anger that he expresses. Luke writes, and he entered the temple, temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Unlike, you'll notice, unlike Matthew, Mark, and John, 
Luke limits his description of the buying and selling that was taking place. He also limits the discussion in terms of how Jesus cleanses the temple. It's very different, and that's because Luke is more concerned with the motivation uh, than he is uh, the motivation of the anger than he is the, uh, the how of the anger or the how it was exhibited. He's more concerned with why he expressed the anger than how he expressed it. And the why is revealed in what he said and not what he did. And so Luke says in, um, of what Jesus said, or what Luke uh, shares that Jesus said uh, comes from two places. And the uh, first part comes from Isaiah 56 and the second part comes from Jer- Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, Isaiah 56, 6 says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And then in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11, the second part of what Jesus said comes from, from here. It says, he says, has this, or the Jeremiah the prophet says, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And all we have to do to find out what he means by den of robbers is to look at the context of verse 11 from Jeremiah 7. So we go backwards a few verses and we read this. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? Will you murder? Commit adultery? Swear falsely? Make offerings to Baal? And go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered? Only to go on doing all of these abominations? So what Jesus is angry about, we we learn from Jeremiah 7, he's angry about the religious leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they were uh, idolatrous hypocrites. They were acting and living one way during the week and then they were showing up at the temple and acting in a whole different way, presenting themselves to be someone or something completely different. And one evidence of that was the hypocrisy, or of that hypocrisy, was this unethical money changing that was going on, uh, that verged on extortion and the, and the sacrificial uh, animal selling that was taking place. And the, there were so many people in the outer court that the Gentiles couldn't even come in and pray. The greed was squeezing out those who had come. this was just one evidence, right? We've seen this over and over and over again. That same idolatry, that, that same hypocrisy that Jesus had been addressing all along, He addresses again. It ran deep. But Jesus didn't come just to cleanse the temple. He came to pronounce judgment upon the temple as he had proclaimed judgment upon the city. Listen to verses 12 to 15 that follow Jeremiah 7, 11. Through the prophet, God says, Go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you 
persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do, the ho- do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and to your forefathers as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight. And there are two things we need to consider at this point as well, as we did before. First, this this cleansing was not simply a matter of restoring the temple, which he did do, right? He cleans out the riffraff, he he reestablishes the outer court to be that place of prayer for all people, and, and he begins to teach Right? Sharing there in, in the temple, he begins to share the truth of the gospel and of the kingdom. And he, did, he does so daily from this point forward prior to his crucifixion. So, so there is that cleansing and that restoration. But this, this cleansing is also a foretaste of the, of the temple's destruction. This is going to take place at the same time the city's de- uh, destroyed in, in A.D. 70. So like the city, when it, comes to, when it comes to end times and when it comes to these last days, when it comes to our eschatology, our concern and our emphasis should not be upon the temple being rebuilt. Even before its destruction in 70 AD, the temple had become insignificant and irrelevant as far as the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth was concerned. And we ask why. And the answer is because in Jesus' own words, He was and is the true temple. Everything that took place in the temple, everything that the temple pointed to, everything, uh, the, the purpose of the temple overall was fulfilled in Him and by Him. He is God in the flesh who dwells in our midst. He's the better priest and the better intermediary intermediary between God and man. He is the full and final sacrifice and offering to whom all sacrifices and all offerings point. It's in Him that we have peace with God. It's it's Him that was our substitutionary sacrifice by whom and through whom our sins are atoned for and forgiven. And as R.C. Sproul says, He is, uh, or once said, He is the one we are to come to in order to worship and serve the one true God. There's... Brothers and sisters, there is no need to revert back or to regress back to the old temple now that the new temple is here. The new and better temple is here. He himself said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. And John says he was speaking about the temple of his body. And secondly, for those who have repented of their sin and, and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, for those who are believers in Christ, for those who are Christians, Paul says that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit resides within us, and Christ has set up permanent residence within us by His Spirit. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says that we as individuals are being built up 
uh, into a dwelling place of God. So we as individual temples are being built into one corporate temple of the Holy Spirit. And because of because of our flesh and the residue of our sin that remains and that we continually battle with, we need to be continually, we need to be continually cleansed of our sin. Right? We, we need to be purged of our hypocrisy. We need to be purged of our selfishness. We need to be purged of our hopelessness. They all need to be removed. Our idols need to be overturned. Worry and, and fear and pride need to be done away with. It's the Father's will for, for you and for me that Christ would be the center of our affections and our desires and our convictions and our actions, that He would be the center of all things, and this is only going to be done by faith. It will be done by faith, trusting and resting in Christ to do what the Spirit, what only the Spirit can do and what the Spirit needs to do on our behalf. So I, I, I need to ask, we all need to ask, what sins do we need to confess? What sins, of, uh, of what sins do we need to repent? What idols need to be overturned? What fears and worries need to be removed? And then we need to remember that this is only going to happen, again, by the power of the Spirit as He sanctifies us and as we, by faith, regularly and consistently repent of our sins and seek to mortify them. It's only going to happen by the Spirit as we regularly and consistently make use of the simple means of grace that He has given to us in word, sacrament, and prayer. We need to always remember that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we need to remember that in the words of Paul, we need to pray and ask for the Lord to grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we as, as His temple and as His temple may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, that's His will for us. Well, that brings us to the last point, which are the answers that Jesus gives. The re- religious leaders, as you can imagine, were offended. And it's not the first time they've been offended. But this did take place on their own turf. So this is a little bit different. Not only has he called them out for their idolatry and their hypocrisy, but he's also hit them in their bank accounts. And then he's also, worse still, he's questioned and undermined their authority. And their reputations, as you can imagine, had had taken an extreme hit. And as anybody knows, as we all know, know, most of us, when attacked, we do what? We strike back. Since chapter 11, they had simply been, you'll remember, they had been simply lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And everything changes at this point. Now they're just seeking to destroy him. Right? The gloves have come off. 
But the problem is people like him. People like Jesus. They like him a lot. They, they love what he's saying. They they've love what he's doing. He's, he's been teaching. He's teaching daily in the temple. And those people that have gathered, Luke says he, they're hanging on his every word. There's a sense in which they're just they're hanging on him. You've probably listened to someone in that way before. You just you're just you can't get close enough. Or when you're anticipating them speaking, you you, you want to go and you want to be first in line because you, you just can't wait for for whatever it is they want to say. So in, with that in mind, they decide well. You know, they're going to turn the tables on him, right? They're going to, they're going to retaliate, but they're going to try to, to shift everything. And they're going to do to him what they, or they're going to, yeah, they're going to do to him what he's done to them. And so they make this demand and they attempt to legitimize their own authority and delegitimize his. And so they say, look, tell us by what authority, you can, you can hear the arrogance and the pride in their voice, but... You know, tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who is, who is it that gave you this authority? So if you didn't get it because it wasn't them, and in their minds they were the ultimate authority. So if you didn't get it from us, where'd you get it? And these things include both the cleansing of the temple and the teaching that's going on in the temple, but I think it, it, it can be expanded to really everything that he's been doing on the journey. Everything that's been taking place as he's been making his way, they, they've heard, they've had others that have been scouting him out, and so they've come back, you know, all of these things, who's given you the right to do that? And, and as he does, as he's done before, he does it again, and he answers their demand with a question, right? I mean, their demand, tell us who, is really a question. Who gave you this authority? He said, you know, tell us who it is. So he answers with a question. And then he says, was, it, was the baptism of John by man? You know, or or was, it, was it from heaven or from man? Why, why, why don't you, you tell me that? I, I, and it seems obscure. I know that. It, 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 where, where would he be going with that? But it's really ingenious. Because he puts them on the spot. They were trying to go on the offensive. They were trying to turn the tables. They're going to question his authority. But before they even know what happens, right? everything's flipped. And they're now back on their heels. And he is, he's controlling the conversation. They're on the defensive. And so they go back to huddle up. We've got to come up with a new play. But we've got to answer this question. We don't want to look like fools. So what are we going to do? But they're in a quandary. You know, if we say it's from heaven, if John's baptism of, is from heaven, you know he's going to ask us, why didn't we believe him? Why didn't we receive his baptism? If we think it's from heaven, that's really what we should have done. Of course, they don't believe that. And even if they did believe that, they're, they're never going to admit it because they would have to admit they had made a mistake. So option one is kind of off the table. So they say, okay, well, that, that's not good. So, but, but if we say from man... That's no good either because everybody else, all of these people hanging on, on his word, they all believe John was from God. And so he's immediately put them in a position of exposing the fact that they're suppressing the truth of God for a lie 
And they're also scared to death of the opinions of men. And so what do they do? They, they don't choose either one. They plead the fifth. Right? We're not going to answer because it might, um, it's going to incriminate us. So we'll choose option C. We know you didn't give us option C, but we're going to choose option C. And Jesus says, hey, fine by me. You don't, you don't answer my question? Nah, I'm not going to answer your demand. And we'll call it good. And unlike the portion of our passage, there's just one point I want us to consider here as we think about this final portion of our passage. What the religious leaders demanded, um, the, the question that they were asking, is a question many ask today regarding Jesus. It takes different forms. You know, they ask, you know, what, what gives Jesus the right to say He is the only way to heaven? What gives Jesus the right to judge anybody? What gives Jesus the right to demand obedience? What gives Him the right to demand that we worship Him alone? And you may, be, you may be tonight one of those that are asking some of those questions. Or you may have your own. Questioning the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if so, I would, I would challenge you to consider these words. So wise old pastor, not really old, he's my age, but he's wise nonetheless. He says, while Christ was under absolutely no obligation whatsoever to answer a question that was designed to destroy him, there was no doubt as to where his authority came from. He spoke with the invincible authority of Almighty God. We may question, he says, Jesus as long as we like. Asking Him all the questions that trouble us in a fallen world. The questions we sometimes think that even, even God is hard-pressed to answer. But we will never catch Him at a disadvantage. He goes on to say, so, rather than questioning Jesus the way the religious leaders did, we should simply trust Him with our lives now and forever. We should respond to Him the way the rest of the people in the temple did and hang on His every word. And we should also hang on to Him by faith, especially His life, death, and resurrection, and trust Him for our salvation. May that be so. May we hang on the Lord Jesus, for apart from Him we have no hope. Thanks be to God for His Son. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, by Your Spirit and grace, would You enable us to receive the Word with faith and love and lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. 
Would you bless those who have heard your word preached and may the seed sown in weakness be raised in power and show forth fruit of righteousness, righteousness for your glory and for our good in the sake of Christ and His church. Amen.